This is a podcast from Queen's University Belfast, shaping a better world since 1845. Pandemic, of or pertaining to a disease prevalent over a whole country or the world. In this series of podcasts, historians at Queen's University Belfast look back on some famous pandemics. Part 4. The One Who Flies In the Middle Ages, the arrival of plague was often linked to natural phenomena. Marilina Cesario is a senior lecturer in Old English at Queen's, and Francis Lenehan is Associate Professor of Old English at the University of Oxford. How did British and Irish people in the early Middle Ages respond to the threat of plague, a mortal disease? Most of the evidence on pestilence we have from this period comes from written records, chronicles, histories, scientific treatises, charms and poetry. Not biology or records of human behaviour. We don't get those until the late medieval period onwards. But accounts of plagues from 1,000 years ago can teach us an awful lot about early medieval views of the natural world and religion. In the early Middle Ages, plague and other disasters like invasion and famine were associated with the appearance of astronomical phenomena and especially with comets. But let's start with a more recent story, Comet 19. On August 30th, 2019, a new interstellar comet discovered by Gennady Borisov at the Margot Observatory in Crimea excited the astronomical community because it appeared to have originated from outside our solar system. If C2019Q4, as it's now known, is confirmed to be an interstellar comet, it would be only the second such object ever detected. Comet 19 made its closest approach to the Sun on the 8th of December 2019. Ongoing investigations by Chinese authorities have identified human cases of COVID-19 in early December 2019. Coincidence? The appearance of a comet preceding a plague wasn't thought of as a coincidence in the Middle Ages. The Venerable Bede was an Anglo-Saxon monk who lived in Northumbria in the late 7th and early 8th centuries. He had this to say when describing a comet in his scientific manual on the nature of things. Comets are stars with flames like hair. They are born suddenly, portending a change of royal power or plague, or wars, or winds, or heat. Some of these move in the manner of the planets. Others remain immobile. Almost all are found towards the north, not in any particular part of it, but chiefly in the radiant part, which takes the name of the Milky Way. Hairy tails are sometimes found scattered upon the planets and the other stars. So, what was the connection between the sudden appearance of a dazzling comet in the night sky and the outbreak of a mortal disease. Comets are a combination of ice and dust. They are made from the same primitive materials out of which the Earth itself was formed. 
the orbits of some comets have been manipulated by the gravity of Neptune or by other stars. That means they plunge into the inner solar system. As they approach the Sun, they heat up and their appearance dramatically changes. The heat generated by such explosions can be enormous. A cloud of gas and dust, known as coma, forms around the comet's nucleus. The distinctive tails that gleam behind comets are produced when the coma is acted upon by gravity and solar radiation. Scientists argue that when comets get close to the Sun, they can discharge viruses and microorganisms on the Earth. This could explain why people have connected plagues with these stellar objects for so long. Of course, the connection could be pure coincidence, but two astrobiologists, Rorn and Chandra, believe that the fear and reverence of comets that we see in medieval writers may have a basis in fact. Comets were not the only marvelous astronomical occurrence which were associated with plague. There are also solar eclipses. The first major epidemic recorded in English history coincides with a total eclipse of the Sun in the year 664. It was the first solar eclipse recorded from authentic observation in England. Conveniently, for those who wanted to invest it with prophetic significance, the eclipse was followed by a terrible plague. The epidemic is mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, our main source for the political history of the Anglo-Saxons in England. The chronicle was begun during the period of Alfred the Great and describes the most important historical events from their arrival on the island of Britain in the 5th century up to the year 1154. This is what the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports for the year 664. Here on the 3rd of May, the sun grew dark, and in this year came to the island of Britain a great plague among men. And in that plague passed away Bishop Tudor, and he was buried at Pagel, and Erchenberg, king of the inhabitants of Kent. The Old English word is quelm, which means death, destruction, a violent death, slaughter, murder, torment, plague, pestilence, and contagion. The word has some association with vapours and air. The same plague, known as yellow fever, is also mentioned in the Annals of Ulster. Darkness on the calends of the 1st of May at the ninth hour, and in the same summer the sky seemed to be on fire. The plague reached Ireland on the calends of the 1st of August. The Annal for the year 665 reports that the same pestilence was still present in Ireland. One of the main sources for accounts of the plague in this period is again Bede. Bede had personal experience of the devastation of plague. The life of Chelfrith records that when Bede was about 14 years old, plague came to the monastery at Jarrow, killing all the monks except the abbot and Bede himself. This was the plague of 686. This wasn't the first time that plague had come to medieval Britain and Ireland. The Justinian plague originated in Egypt in the early 6th century 
and spread as far as Constantinople by 541. From there, it came to the west, into Italy, Gaul, Carthage and Spain. Outbreaks continued for the next 200 years, up to the 760s. Continental historians like Paul the Deacon, Gregory of Tours and Procopius provide details of what they call the groin disease, describing swellings. They confirm that this was the bubonic plague. By 544, the plague reached Ireland, followed by smallpox. The Welsh annals record the great mortality of 547 killed King Malgin of Gwynedd. There are two recorded outbreaks of plague in England and Ireland in the 7th century. In 664-666 and 684-687. Adam Nan, abbot of Iona, who composed the life of St Columba, wrote circa 697 of the great mortality which twice in our time has ravaged a large part of the world. In England, the effects of the plague were so severe that, according to Bede, the kingdom of Essex reverted to paganism. In 664, the plague took Bishop Chad of East Saxons and all of his monks. Tudor, Bishop of Northumbria, also died of plague. St. Cuthbert was taken ill but recovered. The plague returned in 684, affecting all the English kingdoms except Sussex. Almost all the monks of Lindisfarne died, and large areas of the countryside were deserted. Two stories from Bede show the effect of the plague on individuals in England and Ireland in this period, and how people responded to the plague. 664 was a date of great meaning for Bede, not only because of the outbreak of the plague, but also because it was in this same year that the Anglo-Saxon church held a great synod to decide which system it would use to calculate the date of Easter. Would it be the Irish or the Roman? The great synod was held at Whitby to debate this issue. The Irish party was led by a monk named Coleman and the Roman side were represented by an English scholar called Wilfred. It was Wilfred's party that won the day and Coleman returned to Ireland. The Synod of Whitby is often said to represent a moment when the English church sided with Rome and severed its ties with Ireland. But the stories that Bede tells us about the effects of the plague on both peoples paint a very different picture, one of continued contact and mutual dependence. Now, in the same 664th year of the Lord's Incarnation, an eclipse of the Sun happened on the third day of the month of May, about the tenth hour of the day, in the which year a sudden destructive plague, consuming first the southern regions of Britain, took hold also of the province of the Northumbrians. Enraging far and wide, with much continuance, brought low and grievous ruin an infinite number of men. Moreover, this affliction pressed sore on the island of Ireland with a like destruction. Bede then tells the tale of how, after the Synod of Whitby, two young English nobles called Ethelhun and Edgbert travelled to Ireland to continue their studies. All their companions, either being carried off from the world by the mortality 
or scattered abroad in diverse places, were both of them seized of the same mortal sickness and grievously tormented. At the point of death, Edgbert makes a promise to God that if spared, he will devote his life to prayer and good works. As it happens, Edgbert recovers, but his companion Ethelhun dies. Edgbert keeps his promise to God. Now he led his life in great perfection of lowliness, meekness, continence, innocence and righteousness, whereby he profited much both his own people and the nations wherein he lived in banishment. The Irish and Picts, in example of living, in diligence of teaching, in authority of correcting, in bountifulness of bestowing of the gifts which he had received from the rich. Bede tells another story about an Irish monk who succumbs to the plague in England. In a time of mortal sickness, which wasted Britain and Ireland with a white havoc, a certain scholar of the Irish nation was stricken amongst other with a calamity of the same plague. Like the English monk Edgbert, at the point of death this Irishman promises to God that he will amend his sinful manners and turn his whole mind and life anew to the direction of the divine will. He asks for the relics of St. Oswald, a Northumbrian king who died in battle against the pagans. A piece of the tree on which King Oswald's body was displayed is brought to the sick Irish monk. A medical practitioner then performs a ritual with these relics and heals the patient. Then I blessed water and casting in a chip of the foresaid oak wood did give to the sick man to drink. And forthwith he did begin to mend and recovering his health from that sickness lived a long time after. And being turned to God in all heart and deed did publicly declare to all men wherever he came the graciousness of our merciful maker and the glory of his faithful servant. So for Bede, the arrival of plague not only coincides with the Synod of Whitby, it also provides an opportunity to reflect on continuing links between the English and Irish church. Medieval people learned from the Bible that God would use natural phenomena to punish humankind for their sins. In the book of Revelation, pestilence is one of the signs of Judgment Day. Like us, people in the Middle Ages were aware that some plagues and diseases were spread through the air. One of the most important scholars of the Middle Ages is Isidore of Seville, who wrote a treatise called De Natura Rerum, on the nature of things, in the early 7th century. This is how he describes plague. Pestilence is a disease spreading widely and infecting by its contagion whatever it touches. This sickness does not have a period of time during which either life or death may be expected, but a sudden faintness comes, followed immediately by death. Some have stated what the cause of this pestilence is. When plague smites the earth because of mankind's sins, then, from some cause, that is, either the force of drought or of heat or an excess of rain, the air is corrupted. And thus, with the tempered balance of the natural order disturbed, the elements are infected, and a corruption of the air and a pestilential breeze occurs, and a ruinous defect of corruption takes place in men and other living things. 
Isidore goes on to explain that plague is carried through the air by winds and clouds and falls down into the earth, corrupting plants and animals. Human beings breathe this in and fall ill. So corrupt air coming from other regions strikes the body with a sudden scourge and unexpectedly extinguishes life. Isidore's works were well known to English scholars like Bede. In a discussion of plague in the Old English version of Bede's ecclesiastical history, we find a reference to the Anfleuger, meaning something like the one who flies. This same idea of airborne diseases appears in Anglo-Saxon medicine. One example comes from a poem we call a metrical charm. These charms combine ancient pre-Christian Germanic folklore with Christian prayer and ritual. This is from the poem known as Nine Herbs Charm. In this poem, the charmer addresses the herbs individually and invokes the powers over disease. This is again poison, and this is against the one who flies. This is against the lawsome one that travels throughout the land. If any poison come flying from the east, or any come from the north, or any from the west over the nations of men, Christ stood over disease of every kind. And another example of the fear of disease coming from inflected places like marshes, might be found in the most famous Old English poem, Beowulf. The hero's opponents in the first part of the poem are the monster Grendel and his even more hideous mother. These creatures attack the hall of the Danish king, Hrotgar, at night. The German scholar Friedrich Kleber wrote in the early 20th century that for the Anglo-Saxons, these monsters might have served as allegorical personifications of nature. Perhaps of the cold North Sea, of the terrors of pestilential marshes, malaria, fog, or the long winter nights. According to this mythological reading of the poem, the hero's victories over the monsters represents the coming of spring. Here is a passage describing how the monster Grendel creeps up out of the swamp on a dark night to attack the Danes while they are asleep. Dark home of moor under mist layathum Grendel Gongan, God as bar. Then came from the misty slopes Grendel advancing. He bore God's anger. The wicked attacker wanted to snare some of the mankind in that high hole. He went under the clouds to where he readily knew the wine hole, the gold hall of men decorated with treasures. That was not the first time that he sought out Hrothgar's heart, but never in his days or his life before or since did he meet with a fiercer welcome from a whole town. The warrior came journeying to the hall, deprived of joys. The door sprang open, forged with fire bands, as soon as he touched it with his fingers. Angry mind, he pulled the mouth of the hall, when he was enraged. The enemy quickly stalked across the decorated floor. He went angry in mind. From his eyes shone a hateful light, most like flame. In the early Middle Ages, then, plague could be interpreted in many different ways. 
Just like now, plague was an object of scientific study. It also inspired the fear of God and fueled the imaginations of poets. As well as fearing plague, medieval scholars attempted to pinpoint its origins. Medieval scientists recorded its occurrence and effects and tried in whatever way possible to protect themselves and stay safe. Scholars like Isidore and Bede were fascinated by the connections between outbreaks of plague and major historical events. By linking a historical event with a natural phenomenon, like a plague or a comet, the writers of medieval chronicles invested those events with greater significance, making them more memorable as part of a divine plan for humankind. Will the appearance of Comet 19 be remembered as a portent of the COVID-19 pandemic? Pandemic, the podcast series from Queen's University Belfast. Please rate and review and share this podcast.